Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. What does the future hold for St. Louis and how do we get there? This is Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome into this edition of the show. Michael and Travis with you. Always something new to talk about. First off, Travis, we're going to get into BioGenerator and some of the new achievements they've had. They hit some new milestones as it relates to uh, investment dollars coming in for these early stage bioscience and ag tech companies. And so, yeah, we're going to dig into that. And then we're going to jump into the new headquarters for Stereotaxis, moving out of the Cortex location and down into the Globe Building, which is starting to create a lot of center of gravity down there in the Globe Building, just north of Washington Avenue. Yeah, so we'll bring you the conversation that CEO David Fischel had with St. Louis Talks. So that's another example also of how St. Louis going tech is going mainstream as well. So we'll bring you that interview because it's also really interesting to hear about their technology. It's it's a, a robot for surgeons inside the body. I mean, that uh, sounds scary, but I guess I trust it. <laughs> Still well, sounds scary. <laughs> and so then we're going to finish off the show by talking about a new report from Brookings on uh, laying out all the different cities and where the tech jobs and innovations are, the superstar cities, the rising star cities, and the rest. And where does St. Louis fall? Uh, here's a hint. We're not doing too bad. We're doing all right, especially compared to some of our peers out there in some of the incumbent cities. So, well, yeah, we'll dig into that Brookings report to wrap up the show. So stick around. Coming up next, we're going to tell you about Biogenerator, one of the engines making it all happen. That's up next. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing impossible on KMOX. Well, welcome back as we continue talking about St. Louis startups and technology. And we want to get you up to date on the latest with Biogenerator, which is one of those organizations we've told you many times on the show is a driver of innovation investment in St. Louis. And the amount of follow on capital that has gone to Biogenerator portfolio companies, Travis, has just crossed $2.5 billion. Now, just to, to describe and explain to our listeners a little bit more about follow on capital, that means if Biogenerator you know, puts a dollar in, then other dollars might come in as well. And we're going to talk to some folks from Biogenerator to get more detail than that. But this is, this is a significant amount of money that's not just, a, just coming from St. Louis, but it's attracting dollars from outside the region. Attracting dollars that might not come to the region, but for the work of Biogenerator. So we're really happy to talk with Maggie Crane from BioSTL and Biogenerator Senior Vice President Charlie Bolton. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. 
So Charlie, why don't we start with you? This uh, $2.5 billion of follow-on capital. Uh, help paint the picture. Where did, where did that come from? And tell us about some of the companies that, uh, that really attracted that. Those dollars really came from all over the world, not just all over the country. We have some great venture capital funds in St. Louis, but uh, to achieve the scale that w- what we're trying to do to change the economy of St. Louis, we've got to find venture funds wherever they are. And so Biogener's job is to stand up these early companies, put together companies that can compete on a national and international scale, really uh, wherever the capital is. And so there are investors, certainly from the coast, Boston, uh, the, the, the West Coast and the, the Bay Area, lots of money from those areas coming into St. Louis, but uh, funds in London, funds in China, funds in Israel, all those dollars, over 90% of the capital comes from outside of our region into these early companies. And they started as early companies with us, but folks have been following the news. Benson Hill went public last year. This is a company that came out of the Danforth Center, scientists with an idea 10 years ago, eight years ago, just a few people. And today, over 400 employees, they have their own building, raised over half a billion dollars. And that's really what we're trying to do is create those great St. Louis companies. They're going to change the economy here. What a great year last year with those. We had the two big unicorns uh, and Benson Hill with their crop OS system talked with them right after they got done with the New York stock exchange going public. Maggie, can you give us a little bit more detail on what the focus is for biogenerator? We hear a lot about agriculture companies, bio STL also into health innovation. What, what kinds of startups are we talking about with biogenerator? You know, this is something that just uh, gets me excited personally. I just think that a lot of people in St. Louis don't know that these types of companies are in their own backyard. We have companies that are quite literally developing treatments for cancer or other ailments and diseases. They are creating uh, more sustainability in agriculture, like Benson Hill, um, making proteins for plant-based meat. Um, drug discoveries, as well as ways to more quickly and more accurately detect cancer and other diseases. And a lot of these companies are getting their start right in the biogenerator labs uh, that is at the BioSTL building in Cortex. Biogenerator is the only seed or venture capital investor that invests exclusively in St. Louis companies. It's often the first money into a young startup. So in addition to providing that early stage investment capital, Biogenerator coaches entrepreneurs, de-risks their companies prior to that investment, and that makes those startups more attractive to other investors. So as we say that we're often this first money in, um, that's when they're the, the most risky. But getting them to a place where they are able to attract this outside capital, this $2.5 billion that are it's coming to St. Louis companies, St. Louis innovators. And the leverage for it has just been an impressive milestone for all of St. Louis. For every single dollar that Biogenerator has invested, those companies have gone on to attract $75 more. I, I would take those returns. Where can I? <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> that is phenomenal. I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we're, we're talking about where Biogenerator is today in this major milestone. But let's, can we spend a couple of moments talking about why Biogenerator and BioSTL even existed in the first place. Mm. You know, to me, I, uh, as still a person who's been in St. Louis for 10 years now, all I have is the urban legend, but urban legend has it that when the Pfizer downsizing happened, uh, instead of, you know, using that as a way to be down and, you know, begrudgingly sad, 
this was partially a catalyst for the activities that we're seeing today. These these scientists and business executives from Pfizer able to go out and spin out and create their own thing. Is that part of the urban legend of BioSTL and BioGenerator? <laughs> Hey, I think you've got it right in a lot of ways. Let me take you back just a, a tiny bit. Um, really, uh, this was Dr. Bill Danforth's vision for St. Louis, put a flag in the ground on bioscience. So the healthcare aspect of things as well as um, ag food. And that was, you know, that started, we're, we're entering our third decade. So 20 years ago, Bill Danforth convened all of the players and said, hey, let's, let's put our proverbial money where our mouth is and, and, and double down on bioscience in St. Louis. That took everything. It, 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 we needed physical space. We needed policy to support entrepreneurs and startups. We needed capital. That St. Louis didn't have capital back then. So, you know, to fast forward 20 years and to have this one portfolio of companies at $2.5 billion is quite impressive. But as you mentioned, with this Pfizer downside, downsize, uh, this was, this was Charlie's baby. I'm going to let him pick it up from here. Um, Charlie, he won't tell you this, but I will. He is the brainchild behind the Biogenerator Labs and is called across the country as other communities are looking to re to create something like what we have in St. Louis, which I think is impressive. I think oftentimes we think of, hey, you know, we're probably calling in Boston to help us and it's really the other way around. I was just so lucky to join Biogenerator in 2009. So I was one of those folks. I worked at Pfizer at the time and I envisioned having a career in pharma and uh, in doing that for the rest of my life. But that industry changed dramatically. It changed dramatically for St. Louis. And I didn't, there was no future for me in that industry, like so many other folks. And so I joined Biogenerator. We were really early in that, in that vision from Dr. Danforth. We had just a, a handful of companies. But while I joined the investment side, many of my friends and colleagues started companies. And a great example is Confluence Life Sciences. That was the first uh, company to take up residence in our new labs that we, that we launched uh, in 2010. And that company today has over 50 people here in the BioSTL building in Cortex. It's now publicly traded as a Claris. That's a, a success story in that a public company acquired our little company in St. Louis, but kept, kept all the employees. The operations in St. Louis are growing. And, and very importantly, those early investors, including Biogenitor, made money on the, on the investment in Confluence. And so we were able to take those dollars and redeploy them into the next generation of companies. And all the other investors in St. Louis uh, were able to make money and then investors, not just in St. Louis, but across the country. And really that's what we needed to be to do to, to be ultimately be successful for St. Louis companies to create economic success, deliver important medicines and products to healthcare and agriculture, but create economic success that then brings the next level of capital and, and completes the cycle. And Charlie, in the years since, um, you know, it seems like back then cities had the, the big dog in an industry. You had the Searle, the Pfizer, or the Monsanto, the Bayer, and that they basically dominated. And now it seems like St. Louis has a breadth of many companies, KWS just across the street from Bayer Monsanto, for instance, and Benson Hill, a breadth of companies in these industries. And the attitudes seem to have changed where the big dogs are more willing to to help out because they see the benefit of being surrounded by like minds. That's right. Those industries have, have changed. And, and the, the vision of, of Dr. Danforth was to, to, to have both in St. Louis. And so it is important for us to have large companies, but those large companies, the sort of secrecy and operating behind the walls and, and that whole world that, that existed 20 years ago, that's, that's not the world today. There's constant interaction with, with Bayer and, and all those other companies with startups and, 
without it getting into the details, there's a lot of cross-fertilization and, and investment and, and spin-outs of, of, of corporates. And, and we love to see that and see more of that. KWS has been an important addition to the, to the community. They've, they've launched the startup company uh, in addition to KWS and, and all those things add to the, to the ecosystem and really change the dynamic from one or two big companies to, of course, one or two big companies we want to see, but dozens and dozens of startups and some of those achieving scale like Benson Hill and Covercrest and Confluence. When you talk Charlie, about also like achieving scale, you know, one thing I want to add for perspective is it took BioSTL nearly two decades for the biogenerator portfolio to top $1 billion in follow-on funding. And then in this past year alone, it raised a billion dollars in a single year. So you can just see how much that's leapfrogging every single year. So this time next year, we're talking about the $5 billion uh, milestone, right? <laughs> Help us understand the trend line. Maggie, you, you alluded to it, but what kind of the early investments that both of time, resources, talent, uh, financial uh, resources that went into this, you, as you said, Maggie, it, it took a while to get to that $1 billion mark and then another billion in a short period of time. Is this the, the flywheel that, that maybe the founders expected when, when BioGenerator and BioSTL we're getting off the ground. And what does the future look like? You know, I think we didn't have the talent back then. We didn't have a very deep bench. And candidly, we still don't have the deep bench of the Bay Area, where you have people starting startups and having achieving exits and then creating another startup. We, we just don't have that here yet because we're still a pretty new startup ecosystem but we are starting to see that change and that growth. So something that BioGenerator this year is really doubling down on is talent. So it has an executive in residence program where it brings these industry pros, maybe people who are looking for their second career, for example, out of the bigs, and they're looking to kind of to, to pivot into something. Well, now we have this industry experience where we can plug these pros into new startup companies to help them grow. So they become their very first CEO and they grow this company, deepening that bench. And Charlie, you can probably explain a lot more on the executive in residence with some of the um, good you know, examples of um, success stories that we've had in kind of growing our own talent so that we do have a deeper bench. In the venture industry, uh, the, the talent piece, the management piece is, is, is the same as what location is in real estate. So location, location, location. Well, investors look at, at management talent. And so as we source for technology and invest in technology and think about the impact that technology can have, we at the same time are increasingly investing more and more in people. And so this year will be our largest year ever in terms of this executive and residence program. We're, we're lo really looking for folks that are out there in big companies They've heard about startups. They're thinking about what's next in their career. Well, if you look at our successful companies in the biogenerator portfolio, many of those are first-time CEOs that came from industry. These industries are highly regulated, highly complex. It takes a long time to understand how the math works and all the regulation and how to be successful. Those are exactly the people that can come in and help us stand up these new companies. And so Agriculture is a big one for us. We have a, a strong EIR program in ag. We're looking for, for more folks who may be at Bear and thinking about their, their next opportunity or really anywhere in the world that would come to St. Louis and do this. Another big one for us is, is healthcare. Healthcare is such a big industry in St. Louis. 
But from the startup standpoint, there haven't been enough startup companies and health information technology, that sort of space. We'd love for folks that are in the big companies that, that understand the complexities of healthcare and then and, and all the, the the challenges with inefficiencies and economics to to think about startups. And we're here to help those folks start new companies. And we're prepared to to put capital into the companies and and, and pay for executives and residents to to really help stand those up. And I'm curious why such a, as you mentioned, Maggie, the huge acceleration to get past that $2.5 billion mark uh, in the last year. Is it the, the organization in St. Louis just really has it together like we just heard? Is it because the industry's hot? Is it because we've got the right companies at the right time? Or there's money that's looking in St. Louis that hadn't before? Um, maybe a combination. Um, what factors led to yes. such a huge acceleration? <laughs> Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of those, Michael. Um, you know, for example, you, with, let's just take Benson Hill, which, um, you know, going public last year is probably the one that is most commonly known to everybody. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a big push for, for healthier eating and healthier alternatives um, to meat. Well, they're right in that lane. They are developing the proteins needed to fuel that alternative meat, that plant-based meat. So that is very much, a, you know, almost a supply and demand within the market space of what makes something uh, hot. Um, the same thing with, with ways to more quickly and more accurately detect um, cancer and other diseases or to treat them. That is a hot area. So when we are rich in those areas, we're, gonna, we're going to see that growth as well. We, uh, Charlie, you talked a lot about the either the executive talent that's needed to really take these companies to the next level. What role do our universities play? I'm thinking of Washington University in St. Louis, St. Louis University, you know, churning out great talent. How important is that level of talent to the success of an ecosystem like this? Sure, all those pieces matter. And, and going back again to the, to the vision of Dr. Danforth, Washington University and the other research institutions we have here are incredible sources of intellectual property and intellectual capital in the form of people. Many, many of our companies come from those research institutions. The, the, the people that are driving, whether they are coming out of a, a PhD program, go along with an idea into a company. We have a wonderful company called Wujin that's in the Biogener Labs, raised over 170 million last year. That's a great example of an idea that came from Washington University. And many of the people that, that are now in the company were, were students at WashU. So all those pieces matter. What about careers that might not? We've heard a lot about uh, training programs and having the skills, but not necessarily going through the four years. Um, is there a lot of opportunity for that in these industries? This is where the scale matters. As, as companies like Benson Hill go from five people to 50 people to 100 people to now several hundred people, there are many, many jobs at, at all levels. And absolutely, Benson Hill is, is hiring two-year program, you know, associate's degree level scientists, dozens of them. And that's really the opportunity. As, as, as we hit scale, the, the number of jobs really increases and the diversity of the job, jobs tremendously increases. As a matter of fact, we've got a labor market analysis that we will be releasing by the end of the month that talks exactly what Charlie was, was, was addressing. And that is that there are way more jobs uh, than known I, you know, people tend to think of as bioscience, science jobs as, as these very high level jobs, 
where you need a four-year degree or more. And almost 50% of the jobs that are needed and available within the St. Louis labor market are jobs that can be done with an associate's degree or an upscaled training program, an upskilled training program. What about making sure that these job opportunities are open to those who who don't necessarily have the door opening up right in front of them, uh, don't necessarily know, all right, I want to go to a four-year, I want to do this and this, don't have the means to do that. How do you expand this opportunity to corners of the St. Louis region that haven't been able to experience it? There are concrete ways that we are going about that now. And some of it is through STEM STL, which is very much a cradle-to-career path of addressing the needs of the STEM ecosystem and making sure that there are equitable avenues into STEM careers. And that is starting from, like they say, cradle to career, getting taking it all the way through. Um, and BioGenerator also has just launched a new outreach effort specific to women, Latino, Latinx, and Black founders uh, to make sure that they know that we are a resource for them. Well, it's pretty exciting to uh, hit that $2.5 billion market. And uh, Maggie, tell me again, it was for every dollar invested by BioGenerator, how much was outside capital came in? 75 you said? $75. And I think the important thing about you know BioGenerator in particular, we're a nonprofit. So every dollar raised through the BioGenerator portfolio is just put right back into the St. Louis ecosystem to fund the next St. Louis startup, the next St. Louis innovation to keep that pipeline going. So the more successful the BioGenerator portfolio, the more successful all of St. Louis is. Have you had, because we just had a unicorn last year go public, have you had a lot of successes where then extra money has been able to be put back into the portfolio? Well, we're just starting to harvest those those returns from the the great companies that that we've created over the last decade, and so absolutely, as, as Benson Hill was successful on the public market, we were able to sell shares of that stock, and that then enables us to reinvest in the next generation of St. Louis companies. As Maggie said, it's it's critically important for the whole system to work. We have to create companies that uh, reach economic success for investors. All those investors that put money into our portfolio, they need to see economic success so they'll come back here and invest in the next company. Michael, you know, we've we've talked on the show in the past about uh, the importance of not just of programs like BioGenerator, but also statewide programs like MTC mm-hmm. and dollars coming in from uh, at the state level. And my understanding is MTC has had some pretty good wins with these exits too. So it really takes both local efforts, global efforts, and then at the statewide level too. And when these dollars go in, it makes other investors say, well, maybe maybe I might put some money into this. And maybe I am in California, but geez, I had no idea this was happening in St. Louis. You guys just stay there. I'm not going to make you move like I would have maybe in the past. You know, that's a great, great point. Um, Aclaris Therapeutics did just that. They loved what was happening so much at Confluence Life Sciences that they said, hey, just stay put. Keep the R&D there. Keep the research there. But we'll finally build you your own labs. They were uh, it's such a great success story of the Biogenerator Labs. But the idea of the Biogenerator Labs is really to produce those next big companies that stand on their own and need their own lab space. Well, Maggie Crane and Charlie Bolton from BioSTL and Biogenerator, where can people go if they want to get more information? BioSTL.org and Biogenerator.org. 
All right. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Stick around for more Nothing Impossible right after this. Now back to Nothing Impossible on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Two words for you right now. Two words. Surgical robotics. Yes. About 30 minutes from now, the historic Globe Building on North Tucker in downtown St. Louis will be the site of a grand opening of a state-of-the-art manufacturing and research facility for the surgical robotics. Joining us right now is the CEO and chairman of the company that is occupying that space, Stereotaxis. Please join a welcome, David Fischel, to St. Louis Talks. Uh, congratulations to you, first of all, sir. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. The pictures that we got look so futuristic. Exactly what type of robotic surgical units will be manufactured there, and what problems with surgery are you trying to solve with the robots? So we make a, a family of, um, of surgical uh, devices, surgical robots, that help uh, treat minimally invasive uh, endovascular surgeries with greater precision and get greater safety. Uh, if you think about uh, surgeries overall, you can categorize them in three very broad buckets, open surgeries, laparoscopic surgeries, and endovascular surgeries. The challenge with endovascular surgeries is that a physician is navigating a flexible catheter or device through the body's blood vessels in order to reach an area of the body that needs therapy, and they only have control over the handle of the catheter, but the procedure is taking place two, three, four feet away. And so that distance. It's as if you're holding onto a pencil from its eraser while you're writing or, or holding onto a hose a few feet back from the end of the hose. And, um, and so there's a limited precision at the tip where the actual surgery takes place. And so we build robots that use very precisely, um, very precisely designed magnetic fields to allow a physician to take direct control over the tip of a catheter. And by doing so, they can treat, um, treat patients with greater precision and greater safety. Uh, there's one specific type of uh, indication that we are used for right now, which is uh, if someone has a heart arrhythmia where the heart doesn't beat regularly, uh, they can navigate a catheter into the heart and um, isolate some of the misbehaving heart muscle cells and by doing so put the patient back into normal rhythm. So are these robots tools that the doctors are using in these procedures or do the robots ever actually take over like an auto control or, you know, like the cruise control on your car? Now, so these, these robots are really designed to enhance the physician's capability to deliver good care. Um, and so a physician is seated at a computer cockpit with all the information on the patient right in front of them, and they're controlling all of the movements of the robot. Uh, it's really meant to enhance the cognitive aspects of the physician and to allow the physician to, uh, to overcome the otherwise inherent limitations of, uh, of catheters that have to be driven from the handle. It is incredible technology. I've witnessed it from a viewing uh, a studio or viewing room, I guess you would call it. Um, I, I, I'm just curious, how early in a, a doctor's uh, college are they exposed to this type of technology? Because you have, you know, military, when they're advertising, you know, recruitment ads, talking, you know, flying, you know, war drones and things like that. Is it is it easy for, I'm sure it's easier for the younger uh, doctors to grab a hold or grasp a hold of this technology, yes? So we, we started actually a fellowship program with Barnes Jewish Hospital, which has been using our technology for many years. And um, and so they actually trained their electrophysiology fellows. So these are already um, yeah, I mean, uh, grown adults at some point that, uh, that have gone through medical school, have gone through 
a inter, you know, residency, and now they're doing a specialization in cardiology focused specifically on how the electrical system of the heart works and uh, called electrophysiologists. And so during their electrophysiology fellowship, they'll actually learn about robotics. They'll become uh, uh, very good at navigating uh, the robotic system. And uh, we actually started that with Barnes-Jewish. We now have about 40 fellows uh, globally at any given time that are part of the program. And, um, and, and you're right that generally uh, younger physicians are more adept at, at computers, more adept at video games, and, uh, and so this suits them. But we also do see sometimes that many elderly physicians who, who use us and use us very well because if you think a physician has two big skill sets, they have a cognitive skill set in terms of how to understand the patient's disease, how to design therapy, how to, um, how to determine how best to treat the patient. And then they have to have the hand skills on how to actually get the tools at their disposal to do what they want. Robotics really allows them to overcome the challenges uh, on the manual movement, the hand dexterity, which over time, unfortunately, to all of us uh, deteriorates and allows them to focus on the cognitive side, which usually for most of us actually becomes better over time. And so, um, so we do have kind of a range of physicians around the world who use our technology. David, without giving away any company secrets, what's the new frontier uh, for uh, robotic, uh, surgical robots? Where, where's your research focused now? So we're a small company. Uh, we have about 100 hospitals globally that have treated about 140,000 patients with our technology today. And so, so far, we've had to be overall fairly focused. And the main thrust, though, of our innovation efforts have been at first to make robotics more broadly accessible. When you have a great technology and you want to make it easy for hospitals and physicians to adopt, and you want to make it broadly available to patients. And that has been one big thrust of our innovation efforts. The other has also been making the technology applicable not just in treating patients with heart arrhythmias, but also applicable for other types of minimally invasive endovascular surgery. And so hopefully in the coming years, you'll, you'll see our technology being used uh, to benefit patients with strokes or with, uh, with tumors or, or, or some other vascular disorders. I wonder if you had to lobby to get any laws changed in order to bring these type of robots into these type of scenarios. I would think that, you know, there, there, I'm sure there's liability issues and, you know, is it the operator? Where does this go? There had to have been some legal roadblocks that you had to have gotten past to get where you are today? So not exactly. There is, healthcare is complicated and, and healthcare evolves relatively slowly because it is a complicated field. And so there are all sorts of complexities to, to grow and to gain adoption in a marketplace. Um, it just, and, and perhaps that's also in some ways it's, it's obviously detrimental, but in some ways it's also to the, benefit, to the benefit of society because it allows things to evolve rather than to have dramatic changes rapidly. Um, we haven't had to have legal changes, and there are other companies. So uh, Intuitive Surgical is the leading robotic surgical company in the world. Uh, it's really in a completely different type of surgery, laparoscopic surgery rather than endovascular. Uh, but they pioneered that. They have about 6,000 robots globally. And so they've already demonstrated that robotics can be used broadly in hospitals. Uh, almost every hospital globally uh, has, a, has a Da Vinci system from intuitive surgical. So we didn't have to pioneer in that sense. We're really pioneering robotics in the field of minimally invasive endovascular surgery.
Well, congratulations on the new facility. Um, as I understand it in the email I received that you are still seeking to fill some roles in your company. Uh, can you direct people where to go for that and what qualifications they would need? Sure. So we're, we're, a, we're in many ways a vertically integrated company. We have that. We do all of our research and development, engineering uh, of new robots, of interventional devices. Uh, we, we do our own software, user interface software, uh, control software. So there's a fairly robust engineering team here. We manufacture robots um, at our facility. And so we have uh, people that build them. Uh, we do shipping and logistics here. Uh, we have field service uh, people that go around the world uh, maintaining and fixing robots. And then we obviously have all the administrative and uh, general functions, uh, finance and IT and HR, uh, clinical regulatory, marketing, mm-hmm. sales. And so um, a company is like a human body and many, many parts right. to work well together. Right. Uh, on our website, we have a recruitment page and we are always looking for people who are uh, particularly motivated to have a big impact in the world. Uh, you want to build a culture of people who are intrinsically motivated for the mission of the company. Well, welcome to the neighborhood. We're just blocks apart. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll have lunch one day. <laughs> sure. Delighted to host you. We're excited to be in the downtown North uh, Insight District. And who named that? Downtown North Urban Insight District. That was not me. I've been educated <laughs> okay. at the term of our district. So well, I, the seat. There's a growing, uh, a growing community of companies that have moved into here, and um, we're Wonderful. delighted to be the CEO and chair of Stereotaxis, Davis Fischel, they have their uh, ribbon-cutting grand opening coming up in about 10 minutes. Uh, thanks for joining us on St. Louis Talks, and good luck to you. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing impossible on KMOX. Welcome back, and we're going to finish off the show by bringing you some news out of the Brookings Institution. Think tank, nonpartisan think tank out of Washington, D.C., that takes a look Uh, really at economic issues. And when it comes to cities, uh, well, the title is Superstars, Rising Stars, and the Rest, Pandemic Trends and Shifts in the Geography of Tech. And Travis, we've seen, first of all, remote technology change things, uh, the ability to do your job from anywhere, potentially. And then we've also seen, uh, well, Brookings says during the pandemic, for instance, Google and Apple announced new engineering and major offices in North Carolina. And Intel with their big announcement about billions on semiconductor plants in the Columbus, Ohio area. So we've seen a a little bit of a change. And this report takes a look at where do cities fall in the midst of this? Yeah, you know, I think this... This this was inevitable, right? As as the as COVID had opened up, I guess the world's eyes and industry's eyes uh, that remote work could happen. Uh, that there is tech talent in a number of places, not just San Francisco or Boston or or the San Diego area, and it's letting this the middle of the country, you know, the Columbus, Ohio's and the St. Louis, Missouri's carve out a stronger place for being a, a talent hub and being places where uh, innovation can grow. Yeah, so the superstar metros are San Jose, of course, New York, San Francisco, of course, Washington, D.C., which, I mean, we just look at HQ2 from Amazon. Now we say, of course, for there and also for Seattle. And also on the list are Boston, Los Angeles, and Austin, Texas. And Brookings says, I mean, prior to the pandemic, that's where so much of the growth has been concentrated. Then you've got the rising stars which are nine, they say, dynamic metro areas, Atlanta, Dallas, Denver, Miami, Orlando, San Diego, Kansas City, St. Louis, and Salt Lake City. 
which were able to increase their share. Isn't it interesting that there are, of, of all the cities listed, uh, two are in Miami and two are in St. Louis. Well, the only two states that, that have dual cities represented on this rising star list. And even when it came to the pandemic, it didn't, uh, it didn't cause growth to disappear, but it, it caused it to slow in all of these metros, except St. Louis. The growth among all of those, the rising stars, the, the, the ones below the superstars, went from 5% to 2.9%, but St. Louis went from 39 to 4.8. And, you know, as we look back on what we talked about the rest of the show, which was, you know, looking at what Biogenerator has done or how Stereotaxis has, you know, trudged along for quite a while, had some, you know, near misses and, and got close to, uh, you know, maybe shutting down, but here they're opening up a new headquarters. I think there's a level of resilience that's in St. Louis that allows us to keep pushing forward. And you've got to be resilient because the big takeaway from this report, I think, is that even through 2020, the tech industry was still a winner-take-most situation in which, you know, those who are even the rising stars are rising. I mean, we're talking those nine cities added 14,000 tech jobs. Meanwhile, an HQ2 from Amazon can be tens and tens of thousands of jobs, but they're still announcing those for places like Washington, D.C., and so the report says, yeah, these cities are rising. These are the ones that are doing the best, but they're doing it in the shadow of these cities that are still just sucking the oxygen, it seems, out of everywhere else. Well, and it's, it almost seems like the same argument we have you know, that can be made around uh, climate change. And, and folks are thinking to themselves, well, you know, sea change, cha- uh, you know, the sea level changing a foot isn't that big of a deal, right? But in these, but it is a big deal. Of course, it would be a big deal. And even these are, even though these are, it's a small growth for these rising stars. It does still convey momentum, right? I don't know if the incumbents are ever going to be knocked out of their place, but it is showing a distribution of these these activities in other cities that aren't those incumbent or superstar cities. Well, and there have been companies, um, including. Tesla, we've heard a lot about, but Oracle, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, which moved uh, out of California. And um, I'm wondering what you would think St. Louis could do, um, you know, as, as living in these places becomes more expensive and just more who can do it is the first thought. And these companies are wondering where, you know, how do we, what does St. Louis do to get, do we put up billboards in these cities? What do you think, Travis, to, to edge in, uh, on what's happening with this job growth and nudge some more of it out of the places like San Francisco. Well, I know Ohio has, is, is running some pretty fun and interesting and uh, uh, subversive campaigns in other markets and places like Seattle. And uh, I think Austin, they have some billboards up, you know, I, it's, we're, we're going to be hard pressed to just advertise or market our way out of this. I mean, it's really going to come from, uh, I think reports like the Brookings Institute uh, continuing to, put St. Louis's name out there uh, as, as a rising star and accomplishing these things. Uh, but it's also, you know, the, the next milestone that Biogenerator hits and BioSTL as they, you know, maybe move from 2.5 million in follow-on funding to 5 million. We, we talked to, uh, you know, Charlie uh, and Maggie earlier and, and they, you know, they showed, they talked about how quickly they got to that next milestone. Maybe this is the momentum we need that makes us a little bit more relevant in other people's eyes. And you can check those out on the Odyssey app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Nothing Impossible.
We'll be back next week to talk about more stories of what's now and what's next in St. Louis. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.